Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I mean, I'm the kind of person who thinks that we should be ourselves because I think if we can, if we can be ourselves and just be completely transparent and honest about who we are, we're not perfect. We're super messed up. Just like come along with me on this super messed up journey. I don't know what's going to happen, but like, you know, if you want to come, you know, you'll probably cry. That's Kelly McEvers. She's a longtime NPR correspondent and the host of All Things Considered. And earlier this year, she launched a podcast called Embedded, where she takes a story from the news and goes really deep. It's so worth listening to. You should go and hear it. So Kelly led a conversation about how journalism is very much alive and well in podcasting. I'm Shamita Basu, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of the best moments from our live event. Here's Kelly, along with Invisibilia's Hannah Rosen, Latino USA's Maria Inojosa, and The Guardian's Francesca Panetta. This is cool. Hey, everybody. Hi. How's it going? This is awesome. Thanks for coming. We're going to talk about journalism today, um, journalism and podcasting. I always get asked all kinds of crazy questions about it, so I'm so glad that I get to like ask those questions to other people <laughs> and not to myself. Um, and <laughs> not have to answer them. Um, there, as you guys know, there have been tons of think pieces lately about, right, about this idea that, you know, in the age of podcasts and del- digital delivery of content, um, is NPR and radio um, going to survive? And I'm definitely not going to talk about any of that or weigh in on it because I'm totally not interested because I don't think that's like the question that we need to be asking. And I think also what it does, it like sets up this binary world where it's like news organizations over here and podcasts over here, podcasts and all other forms of new media over here, as if they're these two competing things. And I think that's kind of false, and I think it's just sort of kind of annoying, and it's um, a little boring. Um, So, (laughs) you know, when people call me me up for interviews, these questions that I get asked, the questions I'm not going to ask today, but the ones that have kind of got me thinking about what we should talk about today... These questions are like, which one's better? You know, is, is new media better than old media? Um, is, are, is news dying? Um, well, all these entertainment podcasts out there, with all these entertainment podcasts out there, who, who will ever want, you know, a daily diet of news again? As if, like, somehow these, like, fun, hilarious, you know, endeavors will, like, make us all stop, like, caring about the world or something. Um, but we... Like, you know, we all know there's tons of journalism being committed every single day in a whole bunch of places and a whole bunch of worlds. And that is a world that I am really excited about. Um, journalism is a thing I believe in very deeply. And um, I'm just super excited about all the different ways we can do it. And so um, we're going to talk about that with people here. Um, we thought it'd be just a really great idea to assemble some of the people who are doing the best work in this field and ask more serious questions um, about podcasting and journalism, like... Um, how are podcasts and other forms allowing us to do more and better journalism? Um, and in a world where we can measure pretty closely who's listening, how long they're listening, is there too much emphasis on met- metrics and not enough on the editorial questions that drive traditional news outlets? Um, and also another question that I always get asked that I actually do want to ask you guys is, do these new forms make us more or less subjective? And does that matter? Um, and so... I want to introduce our guests. Um, We've got Hannah Rosen. She um, is one of the newest additions to the amazing podcast from NPR Invisibilia. Hi. Um, 
just dropped the episode, which is really great. Um, I just listened to it last night. It's awesome. She's, of course, also a former writer at Atlantic and, and Slate and was a founder and editor at XX Gab Fest, has written a whole bunch of other places, long career in investigative journalism and print journalism. And so uh, welcome to you, Hannah. And I, I'm going to just introduce everybody and then I'm going to kind of ask them some questions and then we're going to open it up. Um, to you guys. Um, we also have with us Francesca Panetta. Um, she is special projects editor at The Guardian. She actually works for the visuals team at The Guardian. You're like, why would you have somebody come in here to talk about that? Um, she um, has actually produced um, a bunch of radio, um, is a total audiophile, um, made this amazing podcast two years ago for The Guardian called The Biggest Story in the World. Um, If you haven't listened to it, it's so cool. Um, The editor of The Guardian, as he was going out, uh, decided that he wanted to um, uh, make climate change um, his great legacy project. And so this podcast actually followed him and everyone at The Guardian during this process of like figuring out what the hell are we going to do and how can we make people care about this thing that everybody needs to care about. Um, but now she's actually not really doing podcasts. She's working in virtual reality and mm-hmm. we are really excited to have her. So welcome, Francesca. Mm-hmm. It'll be really fun to talk about that. <clears throat> we also have Maria Inojosa. She is the uh, anchor and executive producer of Latino USA, which we all know is a great radio program, which is also now a podcast. And um, we are excited to talk about that. And welcome to you. Thank you. And of course, I'm Kelly McEvers. I'm one of the hosts of All Things Considered and a podcast called Embedded. So, yeah. Um, so I want to start just asking some like nerdy journalism questions of our panelists. And then um, we'll talk about these sort of bigger questions that I brought up. Um, if you want to do that or if you want to talk about anything else, we can do that. And then we'll let you guys um, have a go at it. And Hannah, I want, Hannah, I want to start with you. Um, you know, you've come from print. And um, I'm sure that's an interesting um, transition. And I wonder uh, if you think about, you know, when you think about like a long form Atlantic piece or a piece of The New Yorker, and then you think about how that same piece might be executed in podcast form. Do you feel like it's a redu- it's reductive? Like, do you feel like... <laughs> um, I feel like the radio version would accomplish something and the print version would accomplish something different. So if you're perfectly honest, turning a piece into radio... I don't think quite allows you to get the intellectual nuance. Like there are certain ideas, not stories, but ideas that are a little difficult to even get into an hour of radio. You can do it, but you have to do it sort of really well, like one at a time and sort of land them with emotional impact. And you're really good at it. I mean, going from turning a print story, but, 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 um, but, but then on the other hand, what the Prince print story doesn't allow you to really kind of, point the arrow at the deep emotional impact of a situation in anywhere near the kind of level of intimacy and profundity that I think a radio story can do. So I think each medium has an advantage. Um, But what, like, if you've tried to get... Uh, you know, you have a big story, and then you you try to get people to do it in in an alternate form. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that... 
and again, I have to say that first question you started with, it's not like this is new. There are beautiful movies that are made out of magazine stories. It happens all the time. They're sure. slightly different than the magazine stories, and they accomplish different things or books. So, so it's not that new a question. But how do you, like, if you think of the most successful example of where you've managed to get some mm-hmm. journalists to turn something into a different medium, what does it look like? Yeah, when I, so I started The Guardian 10 years ago just when we were setting up the podcasting department and kind of ran the audio team there. And at the beginning, it was really tough because journalists would come right at the end of the process with their stories and say, now let's turn this into a podcast. And it'd be like, this is too late. Right. <laughs> you needed to involve us right in the beginning. It's easy, right? And over time, mm-hmm. we've, you know, we've built relationships with the journalists. They understand what, making a, you know, what a story in film looks like, what a story in podcast form looks like. And we can kind of produce right from the beginning. But it's taken a long time for them to understand the kind of production process and the difference in forms. This, it's funny you mentioned the emotional impact of certain characters and ideas in stories and how that is so much more important when you're podcasting because I feel like I get asked this all the time and it seems kind of like a gendered question to me sometimes where it's like your stories are so emotional, you know, you really get at the emotion and, you know, you don't normally do that in the news and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I know that, that we actually do have to do that when we're making good radio because we want to connect with people. We, wanna, you know, we, want it, we want the stories to create some kind of empathy, but... But I wonder about that, like just this idea of like more emotional than a print story. I think it can be personality as well. It doesn't have to be kind of saccharine emotion. Right. Um, so what, what we started to do when we set up our podcast was like irreverence and humour. So it's like it's got the kind of rigour of journalism, but we can add kind of character to it. So I mm-hmm. think that it can be emotion in a really kind of broad scale. Also, yeah. anger is an emotion. Yeah. Fury is an emotion. Yeah. I, I'm not... I mean, as it happens, like a lot of my stories have men crying, but that's right, not right. the only way yeah. to express emotion. There what's are happening. other ways. So. <laughs> did you did you have did you want to talk about that? Just this idea of like making you know pieces emotional and and connecting with people in that you way. Know, it, it's actually very interesting because <clears throat> many times in my career, um, because of who I am, I mean, the fact that I was born in Mexico, um, I'm an immigrant, I'm a woman. Um, I studied at Barnard College, so it must mean that I'm a feminist. I'm a short person, so I must have some kind of short person's agenda. Oh. You know, <clears throat> I didn't know there was such a thing. That's yeah, awesome. no, no. Sweet. Um, and actually, at my core as a journalist, I always understood that that it was about connecting with the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, and I think that that is an agenda that great journalists in our in the history of, of this country have had. Um, you know, from Edward R. Murrow to Frederick Douglass, it was about making that that connection. So for us, in terms of Latino USA, which last year won a Peabody, I think because we were able to do this, um, yeah, we're really, we're very, very proud of that. Um, <laughs> you can say it again. Is that, we won like, a Peabody you know last year. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and I think it has to do with the fact that what we're doing is that we're, we're able to have that emotional connection. We're doing great radio, right? Great audio. But then you've got to have the, the great journalism. That's what we're able to do. And I think that that's what this panel is about, is that it is about creating a sentiment, a moment, something that you, that you are lingering on. But it's also that you're learning something very profound about our country or about the world or about an issue. And those two things are coming together. And I think that that's the best of journalism. And you know what? 
as a woman, you know, I, um, I understand the issue of, a, of it being a gendered question, um, but actually, I think it's, it's actually more um, an element of a great journalist, and I actually learned to really hone that from Scott Simon when I was his producer. He's not a woman. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, okay, great journalism. What is it? Like, what, what if people are wanting to make or saying, like, oh, you know, do I do the podcast um, about, that's, um, about comedy or do I do the podcast that's about journalism? What would you tell them, uh, you know, what are the elements that they need to have, right? They need to connect on this emotional level, but what else do they need to do? You're saying do, do if somebody's trying to start a podcast? Mm, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I just threw that out there. Or just <laughs> oh, I mean, I so as a as a newcomer to to the audio world, I would say the thing that I love the most about it is that it just feels like it's going in a hundred different directions at once. You know, right now it still conceives of itself as a fairly sm- like a small kind of club, um, but it's moving away from that idea so that there. That's what's fun about it. There's like space for the comedy ones and space for you know, a whole podcast about investigative journalism and other ones mm-hmm. about crime. I mean, there's so many good podcasts like na- right now that I think it's history podcasts. I mean, if you ever look at the top charts, oh, yeah. they're just a churning of these. And Bill Simmons. Endless, yeah. incredibly. <laughs> and it, it's, it's actually great. I mean, yeah. that's what I like. So that question of, can you do real reporting? Can you do news? And of course, like it just, it hasn't been maybe, you know, nobody's figured out exactly the most fulsome way to do it yet, but that's why it's cool because people are doing that. But there now. is, there is something about, I mean, I think, um, and I, <clears throat> I consume it all in, in multiple ways, but there is also something about, um, not laughing your way through something that is journalistically really important, um, where there is meat. And we have to also recognize that if we are journalists, we have a role to play in this moment in history. So I want to laugh. I want to be entertained. But at the same time, when I'm hearing an investigative piece, <clears throat> it's not about, <laughs> you know, it's not about that at that moment. It is understanding, like, I'm going to go deep into this, and this is the great thing about American journalism that we can do. But in, like there are documentary I, I don't understand that there are documentaries that are investigative and break news even. So like sure. why wouldn't why couldn't there be audio that is documentary and breaks? It doesn't seem like that difficult. It's interesting there's this assumption conquer. out there though sometimes I think when you're working in this in this form and other places that it's like less rigorous somehow. You know what I mean? Because you haven't sat down with like the big boss editor and 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 gone over your 3000 word piece a bunch of times and had it fact have had, had every single word fact checked with the little check mark. You know that somehow it's not as rigorous as that kind of journalism and and um you know, I always tell people, like, we're just, like, more rigorous. Like, you know, if you're going to put out 40 minutes or an hour on the radio, my God, there's going to be, like, a thousand people editing that and fact-checking that. But I think that's something that kind of gets lost in the discussion is just how important that still is. Or you know, all sense. those, like, dorky, <laughs> traditional things that we right. think about of an old newsroom, it's still, like, hugely important. We've got, like, librarians going through every single line and making sure, like, actually it's 35 miles, not 36. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like, that's super important still. Right. Or maybe people associate podcasting with storytelling in a way, and so in their head, storytelling is something different from serious journalism, which in my head, it just isn't. No, They're the same, so... In some ways, and so our editing process, I was just interesting, was we have kind of editing, the fact-checking editing process and the storytelling editing process, mm-hmm. and they kind of exist in two places for a mm-hmm. while, and then they kind of come together mm-hmm. in the end to make sure we're both right and 
you know, hopefully good. Um, Francesca, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about just what you're up to because Mm -hmm. you're like podcasting so two years ago. (laughs) You're like in this blue world of VR. You have this amazing project called Six by Nine. I wonder if Uh you could just tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So two months ago, I launched uh, Six by Nine, which is a virtual reality piece about solitary confinement in U.S. prisons. And I worked on it for about nine months. Um, so you're, you are in the position of a, um in, incarcerated prisoner and you hear the voices. I interviewed seven people who were previously incarcerated in New York and California and two psychologists who've been studying the psychological effects of solitary confinement. And throughout the piece, you hear them talking to you um, and talking you through that kind of nine-minute experience. So it was absolutely built from audio up. All my projects are built kind of audio up, even if they're multimedia interactives, even if they're films. That's kind of always been the way that I've worked. Um, so essentially, I kind of cut it almost as a radio piece and then started building the visuals on top of that. We built it in nice. CGI and went scene by scene through it on top of, uh, on top of the audio narrative. Right, and so there's also like a space that you can stand in, right, and experience this piece. Well, you put on the goggles, yeah, right. and all around you, you're in the cell. Right. Yeah. And then it's nine minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what else, I, and that's interesting you say audio up. I mean, is that just, do you think, because that's your experience, or do you think it's because um, you think that's the best way to put together a story? I think both. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like talking heads are just not very interesting to look at. So whether it's film or whether it's multimedia pieces or whether it's um, virtual reality, you don't particularly want to see, uh, most of the time, for kind of interviews, you're not... I don't personally am not very interested in seeing the people talking at me. So I would be... You know, I think it's much better just to get the audio and then think about really creative visual treatments around that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just to continue our journalism, I've read a lot of great stories about solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. I have read a lot of testimonies from people who were in solitary confinement, diaries of people, and Mm -hmm. that's this is just a like it's it's, a different form. (laughs) Exactly, it's just a different form of understanding that experience. It's Mm -hmm. profound. It's intimate. It's visual. It's just a different way of. You know, that's no more or less journalism than, than any other form of this is journalism, yeah, I think. Yeah, and it's, it's different from a film as well. Like, mm-hmm. So I've watched loads of documentaries, amazing right. documentaries, which have got uh, you know, character development and you know, all the things that a documentary would. This is experiential. It's right, kind of right. trying to give you a bit of a sense of what it's like to be in solitary confinement. So it's just a, it's a different genre. Right, I always say like the best audio and radio storytelling is that it forces people to stand in the shoes of people exactly. that they would never stand in, right? And this exactly. is like that times yeah, ten. Exactly. What other things do you see in audio going forward um, that are exciting to you in terms of, of how we can commit journalism in other places? Um, I think the online space is very interesting in terms of data visualizations, in terms of um, interactive documentaries is something I'm really interested in, in uh, kind of geolocated audio, um, yeah, how, that. you know, where, where you are depends on what, what you hear. So I think there's yeah, loads of different applications for, for audio in innovation. You know, for us, um, I think that, that part of the, the beauty of this moment in history is that... Um, because so Latino USA exists as a as a radio show. It's a national radio show. In fact, even though we've been <clears throat> on the air for almost twenty five years, our numbers keep going up, which is kind of beautiful. Um, 
and, and it's a beautiful space because it's a it's a radio space, but we also exist as a podcast with two very different audiences, which is really interesting to just have two very different audiences and yet be able to connect with both of them. One that happens upon us that is um, predominantly NPR, public radio audience, more white, and the other one that chooses to listen to us as a podcast. But the other thing that's happened for us is that we are creating new material. So, for example, um, and it's, it's journalistic, but it's different journalistically, right? So it's not investigative, which is something that we are doing. But we created a political podcast called In the Thick because we wanted, we felt like in this moment, um, in this election year, people of color, journalists, Latinos, etc., have a particular uh, take on what's happening politically that we need to own. So that's the beauty of this space. And we created that from nothing. And again, uh, those our, our numbers continue to grow with that. But it... That is the beauty of what you were saying, Han, in that sense that there's just so many so many possibilities. Of course, the challenge is, is that there's also so much stuff, right? right? So how do we get through it okay. all um, and not feel entirely overwhelmed, which then I think at some points, you know, you just are like, I can't listen to anything for two days. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to a thing um, except for the birds, um, which is something that, you know, we also, there, there's the overload, um, although too much information in our day and age at a time when we still have an abundance of ignorance, I don't think is a, is a problem. It's interesting working in a newsroom, you know, you've got a lot of journalists who are like, oh, sweet podcast. That means my stories can be longer. Awesome. Like there's this, there is this instinct to just be like, let's just do more and just like throw more of this out there. And I think, um, we're kind of at a time where we have to think about, not being too flabby, too, Absolutely. like you said. I mean, you, yeah, it's a great world. We're just like, right. I'll just make a podcast about that. Right. Burgers on 4th Street and, like, or whatever. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, what's that all about? Like, why is that guy that... No. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I, yeah, I was just having a conversation with a friend about this last night. You know, I was like, I'm going to do a whole season about this thing. And he's like, do you really need to do that? Or is that just an hour? You know, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, but so it's like a thing, it's a thing to think about. Like, we're in this sort of luxurious time where we... We can just like we feel like we can do mm-hmm. anything. I don't know. I'd love to hear everybody's um, thoughts about that. What do you think, Francesca? I mean, that's certainly when I'm doing kind of training for new producers. I'm always like, keep it tight. It's yeah. so especially like the length. I mean, you're talking about kind of the whole series, but just one podcast. Like, don't let it just sprawl and sprawl. Like, keep it tight. Right. If you're if if you're in doubt. Yeah. Squash <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Squash it. <laughs> In doubt, kill the thing. Yeah. Um, and Maria, you know, you, you're talking about um, your listenership, and I wanted to, I did want to definitely talk about metrics and like how that changes what we do. Um, you do have two different audiences, and I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Has that changed content wise, like your approach or the way you tell stories, and like the, just the fact that we can get all this feedback and we know when, we know exactly when people push pause and when they skip and like, when they listen, how long they listen. You know, a you know, lot of stuff. It hasn't really... I mean, this is the beauty of, of, <clears throat> of creating your own newsroom because um, I created Futuro Media Group, which is in Harlem, if you ever want to come visit, 125th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> lots of internship opportunities, some staff, too. Um, <clears throat> so basically, the staff has been so consistent in the sense that we don't... We're not thinking, oh, boy... We have a majority Anglo audience on public radio, and we have a majority Latinx millennial audience in our podcasts, um, and a large percentage of African-American listeners also. So, no, we, we try to do what journalists do, right, is that we encourage each other, we push each other to you know, get the best story, to make sure that it's tight, mm-hmm. then make sure that it's journalistically sound, that's going to be great radio. 
Um, and I think that that integrity, that authenticity of the voice is what um, has allowed us to grow. But it isn't because we sit there and go like, oh. Now, we do know some metrics, and I have to tell you, you know, having worked at CNN for a long time where, you know, at the beginning of CNN, God bless them, you know, metrics meant nothing. And then kind of when I got there, it, it was uh, right when Time Warner had taken over, and it, there was a lot of competition from Fox, and suddenly I was in a news, um, an editorial meeting for our show on prime time. And suddenly we had a metrics person who came in and he said, well, you know, we have minute by minute ratings now. And you know what? Covering war, not so good for ratings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so the, the metric things, is, it's also dangerous. I think that we, we as producers and as journalists, this is what we do. This is how we make the sausage, right? It's our ear. It's our conversations. It's challenging each other. And that's going to make tight journalism mm-hmm. that people want to listen to. Um, and that's our, that's our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys have thoughts on metrics? I mean, because, like, it's, we can say that they don't come into play. Like, you know what I mean? But I just feel like sometimes they do anyway. Like, who doesn't read the comments? When they're great, by the way, they're, they're great. When yeah. They're great, who doesn't yeah. read the reviews they, and the comments on iTunes? Yeah. You read them, right? You need the dopamine. Like, you have to. So, like, and then this, how, even you're like, that doesn't color my decision at all. I'm going to Okay, let me just say this. In terms of, of the, and then I'll hand it over. We get such deeply, our love letters have become so much more intense and intimate <laughs> the hate is getting like broader like stop you know why do you do your show in spanish and it's like we don't <laughs> go back to mexico okay i'm a u.s citizen you know like that kind of stuff but the love so you're right i'm sorry when you said dopamine i was like yep that's us <laughs> we do get something out of that but again i try to make our staff really feel that it's about the great work and not about the what happens at, you know, 28 minutes or, or 36 minutes past the hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about, you know, I want to open up this door of subjectivity because um, I get asked it all the time. And I actually want to ask you guys about it because it's one of the annoying questions that I want to hear your thoughts on. Um, which is, you know, well, you're, you have feelings in this, you know, beyond the emotional question, you have feelings in this podcast, you have thoughts in this podcast, you have opinions in this podcast. Aren't you now more subjective than you were before? You know, are you now not an objective journalist. What do you guys think about that? (laughs) I'm sorry. I I feel like newsrooms make this distinction um, in the two that I've ever worked in. The (laughs) distinction is, you know, you can't have opinions, but you can have feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's how how they walk that line. And then we're good. Yeah, we're good. As long as you don't say anything like explicitly political like i'm really sad that this you, is happening but i can't say one uh, way or the I other whether it should happen i'm not yeah. sure you could say i'm really sad if this yeah. is like you know donald trump i don't think you could say right, that right, either right, right, right. That, you know um i mean i think that um, in britain we we embrace kind of opinion uh, yes. Much more than right. uh, so in, in American yes. papers. Yes, I know. Oh my God. Just, you're at the Guardian for crying out loud. I you love can... the Guardian. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, yes. we really feel at the Guardian like news is now. It's quite common. Like you read, you get your news sources from a lot of places. Like the wires are providing news. I mean, good reporting is still important. Mm-hmm. But like, what is kind of unique about the big media organisations is good analysis. <laughs> 
opinion. And that can come with personality along with it. So I set up our politics, kind of our politics weekly show about 10 years ago. And my objective was to be as unlike the BBC as possible, to get all of our (laughs) columnists in and make it sound like you're in the canteen with them, kind of gossiping and hearing their opinions. They're the cleverest people Mm -hmm. in our newspaper. And you want to feel like you're sitting down and listening into their conversation. That is good journalism, but it's also really entertaining to listen to. Yeah. Do they have opinions? I mean, do they say? Do they totally? I mean, because we have we have I a had to, un, I had chat. to un, kind of untrain them, oh, un- right. media train them, really. No, because they're all they're all on the BBC all the time. Right. They know kind of what the boundaries what, are. Yeah, and I was like, forget all that. Try and just you know remember. So what they would it's like they could here. say something like, "This Trump guy, he's a joke." Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and to be honest, they really embrace it because they like that idea of you know they're there with, and it gives actually it gives a. It gives a nuance that often you don't get on on kind of the national programs where you're like, okay, we have to have one person from this side, one person from that side. It's got to be balanced. It's like, actually, we're going to have all... Lib- like, oh, they're all going to be liberal, but like, with different opinions and mm. different... And it gives it a kind of... You know, it's something that podcasting can do that often kind of broadcasting can't do, which is be niche, be excellent journalism, be really entertaining. Right. Because we, we have a politics podcast, too, and it's chatty, and it's, you know, when it's good, it's really funny and interesting, and it's like, yeah, you feel like, ooh, I'm sitting with the smarty pants nerds, and they're telling me all the <laughs> exactly. things that I need to know, mm-hmm. and that's great. But they, there's no way in a million years that they would ever say anything that sounds like it, even close to an opinion. Um, but it's, I think it's still entertaining. Like, right. I mean, this, this question of, like, is having an opinion like inherently entertaining and without it isn't yeah well, it doesn't have to be entertaining. yeah right you right. just have to be entertaining without having yeah exactly for us the thing that comes up a lot is um especially at a time when we understand the profound demographic change that we're all experiencing and the and the beautiful and and challenging consequences as a result but we have been in this process for the past you know 50 years um <clears throat> So, you know, when I was growing up, I know a bunch of you are going to be like, who's he? But, you know, it was like Walter Cronkite, right? I mean, like, he was the dude, and he, there was that, that he set the tone for what was objective, right? Um, we don't see the world, and I worked for Walter Cronkite. I actually wrote for Walter Cronkite, um, and he actually read what I wrote for him on the air as his end-of-the-year commentary. And when I was writing it, I was writing it as a journalist. I was not writing it then as a young Maria Hinojosa. The point is, is that what we question is, who gets to decide what's objective? (laughs) I mean, uh, who decides that? Like, is there, like, the Bible of objectivity that we can all, like, kind of go and be like, oh, yeah, this, you know? So we need to recognize that that question in and of itself Mm -hmm. is is complicated and weighted and has its own um, baggage that we have to kind of unpack. Yeah, I mean, I was in... in uh, Las Vegas with one of my kids recently. We were in Nevada. It's a totally conservative town. We were driving through. I was just reading the local newspaper, completely straight paper, not an opinion paper. They were doing stories about the election. They sounded so different than the stories in the New York Times, just the basic framing of the story, who they chose to quote. It was like written as a completely objective news story. And what that made me realize is like, none of us are really object. Like these guys are just writing a straight news story, but their fundamental assumptions are so different from the fundamental assumptions of people writing in New York that, like, I don't know which one's objective. They're both pretty objective, you know? Why don't we let people ask questions? Are you guys ready to do that? You want to throw some stuff at us? Push back? Argue? Criticize? 
Please bring it. Um, I have been thinking about what you were just talking about, like who what, who gets to decide what's subjective, um, particularly reporting on Ferguson and Baltimore and feeling very viscerally relating to a lot of the things that were happening and wanting to talk about it and make people's experiences as fact, right? And so, like, the assumptions pieces, like, starting from a place that assumes that this is something that is already fact, and then going through that and now kind of feeling like, oh, I want to, like, you know, maybe move to another organization and now feeling all this anxiety about whether that is going to be seen as more subjective in the way that that was reported. So advice and and also like how do you bring your own experiences as facts to the way that you talk about a story i mean i it was a rough time for in both of those stories um and i think around the question of looting right and rioting and you know i mean just like word choices in those especially in the early days that's always the worst time Mm. at any news organization right is when you don't know stuff Right, and then so you start saying stuff because you got to say some stuff. Like there's like the clock says four minutes, and my mic is open, and like I got to say things, I got to say words, and that's when like words get said and then get repeated over and over again. And um, yeah, it's just like that's a really kind of dangerous time. And I think on both of those stories, there was a lot of like a lot of really good questions being asked about who says that's what it is. Are you basing this off of something that you're seeing on your newsfeed or on off of actual reporting on the ground? Yep. Oh yeah. Also, though, which Twitter? Like, which like, Twitter? There's like a deeper thing here, which is I think young people are like deeply philosophically believe in subjectivity and the idea that there is no fact and there is right. no reality that we all agree on. So, like in that context, like what what is subjective? But I, I would bring it back to you as a journalist. Um, and for you to own the fact that you're making choices about when you're reporting, about where you're going to go, who you're going to talk to, how you're going to talk to them, because of your experience, um, personally. But then as a journalist, you're also going to, um, to make sure that you get multiple opinions, because that's what we do. So I would just say for you <clears throat> to own a little bit more about the fact that as a journalist, who you are is going to inform the decisions that you're making as you're reporting the piece. And that that's, that that's something that is a great thing as opposed to somebody else who may be talking with somebody else about something else. Or as Kelly was saying, just putting words out there because they have to be put out there. I feel the responsibility. It's almost like it becomes a social justice act. And that's kind of where the lines I always wonder because I feel the responsibility to go talk to this person that's not getting... Um, talk to in other media outlets, you know, like even with Orlando. But that's like I a made good sure. journalistic. That's something yeah. that's a strong journalistic decision. Yep. You want to talk to people who people aren't talking to. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, and until newsrooms look like America, like that's you know, we're gonna need to tip the balance. Hi, um, I'm just curious. Like you all work for larger organizations, where do you draw the line about things that you want to follow and tell a story about, and and what you're doing for your organization? Like, this is very specific, but Maria did a story last year, or Latina USA did a story last year that NPR pulled. It was like called Chewy. It was about a Chicago politician, and NPR oh, pulled it. Yeah. So I'm just curious where that line is. Um, that was the saddest day in my journalistic career. But five days later, we want a Peabody. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> okay, so let me try and, and frame time. this um, story. Um, <clears throat> Chuy Garcia was running for mayor against Rahm Emanuel in the city of Chicago. <clears throat> um, we had gotten deep access into the Chuy campaign like no other national media had gotten. And it w- I actually understood it being a national story when I was in Austin, Texas, and they were in a dinner party with high-powered Latinos from all across the country, and they were talking about how they were funding the Chewy campaign in Chicago. These are people from L.A., from Miami, from Houston. Um, and we, I decided, I was like, okay, this is a national story about what Latino leadership looks like, because there's always this question, what does Latino leadership look like? It looks like, and it's like, okay, well, here you have it. Um, we decided that this was not. This was going to be like, um, you know, inside the Chewy campaign. This was not going to be Chewy versus Rahm Emanuel because we knew that that was not the story that we were going to tell, and a national scale that was not the story that Latino USA wanted to tell. Um, so, our problem and the reason why NPR um, had a problem with us, frankly, was so easy to do. All we needed to say was that. We reached out to the Rahm Emanuel campaign on 15 different occasions and they never got back to us or whatever, it, however many it was. I don't remember at this specific moment. If we had said that more than once, we would have been fine because, um, again, the, the story was not about that. I think that the failure, and this is where, again, our journalistic, our journalism in podcasting um, has actually helped us to grow, is that no one else was doing the story about the Chewy campaign inside and what it meant for Latino leadership. And that is not a taking a stand, but it is a point of view about that story mm-hmm. as that Latino being a leader in a, in a historical moment. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a, a challenging moment, but still, the journalism that we did do, we stand behind. And it was the week... Ugh, it was so sad. I, I, you know, there's the technical stuff, the how you make the sausage stuff, and that week actually was um, a very difficult week because I was going to say goodbye to my father who was dying. And so I had to leave the office early to fly to Mexico. And so there were technical issues um, that, you know, also hindered us. But nonetheless, um, it was a great dialogue with NPR. I think there was a lot learned. And yeah, we wrote. Yes, we did. We did. We wrote our, our own response um, to it. Um, you know, so yeah, of course we pushed back because we absolutely solidly stood behind the journalism that we did about that story that was not about Rahm Emanuel. Um, and I just find it interesting that in the entire history of Latino USA being on the air, the only time that we have had this kind of a, of a situation happened to do when we were doing a piece about Chicago politics. Just, just saying. I'm not even just saying. She said it. <laughs> Hi. Um, I, uh, I worked for NPR like starting 20 years ago, which was like a very different era. And I'm very interested now in... Were you like four years old? I know. I was going to say. No, actually, how did you... How is that no. possible? How is that um, even... Okay. Uh, so I'm at, and I'm at the Times now, which is like a very different... And I'm saying this, I'm saying this, this like the whatever resume thing, because what I find really interesting, both now where I am and also observing NPR after being in public radio for a long time, is the sense that like reporter as character 
is a different <clears throat> approach. It's suddenly there's a sort of a freeing up in a way that like has I mean it's not sudden it's like the ten year overnight mm-hmm. freeing up but I, <laughs> I I was I'm interested in um, you know Kelly your thoughts I mean actually all of you and also what do you mean by reporter's character well, you mean like we, we personality talk, just have kind of yeah like yesterday we talked a lot about. Um, you know, the sense if you're a host of a podcast that you are you are yourself and you're writing a character mm-hmm. sometimes that is you but not really you. And this is actually a big tradition, I think, in public radio storytelling generally. But now, you know, Kelly, you have an opportunity as you are a host, but you're also, you know, you have this this podcast where you are also a character, but you are very, very much a journalist. And Hannah, you I've just joined this, but you know, you're also kind of filling this role in a new way and I, mm-hmm. I would actually be interested in what I, all of you have to say about this moment as reporter as character is maybe more accepted or not anyway mm-hmm. long question you know because oh. you I feel like you've done you've moved through the organization doing both so yeah. it'd be interesting Does, do yeah, you experience the, it as a transition even on the or? news show we're doing it so much more obviously on the news shows right we're being people and mm-hmm. For better or for worse, right? Like, there's not... It's totally not perfect when we are, like, more ourselves, I think, on those news shows. I think there's times when it's like, ay, 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 be quiet. Stop talking about yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) this is the news. You know, I do it to myself. I cry all the time. Like, all the time. And so, like, it's just like, stop. Um, But, uh... Um, so, I mean, I think in general, I think there's this sense that we're not Walter Cronkite anymore. Like, we don't, we're not the omniscient, all-seeing, all-knowing anchor. You know, I'm like a flawed, messy person, and the more I can just be that person, um, the more likely people are going to sort of latch on. I think there's like, and we all know there's kind of this this uh, hunger for authenticity, right? Like, it used to be that, you you know, Scott Simon was who he was on the radio, and then there was this whole other life of his that you could maybe only glean from, like, his books. And, you know, if you were lucky enough to go to, like, one of these, like, appearances where he would, like, talk about himself or whatever. And I feel like, I mean, I, now he's got, like, a million followers on Twitter or whatever. Like, he's he's now, like, a person, and it's not, like, behind the scenes. It's all, like, in front of the scenes, and... um so, I mean, I think generally there's just a trend toward that on the radio. Um, in podcasts, obviously, it's like a whole nother step, you know, like you're saying all kinds of stuff about yourself. And that's, that's I mean, I remember when I first got to NPR five years ago, um, there was this rule that like we were never supposed to even be on tape, like as correspondents, right? Hosts is kind of a different thing. But like as a correspondent, as a foreign correspondent, I was supposed to say, told a reporter, you know, which you guys have to do in the newspaper. Still, he told a reporter, I was like, I will never say those words on the radio, <laughs> ever. Like, I just I just kept putting myself on tape because I just can't not. And, um, like, just saying the word I and me and whatever until they, like, realized they, couldn't, they weren't going to fire me. Um, but... Um, <laughs> So that was just like, I mean, that was, but that was the cardinal rule like five years ago for correspondents and some correspondents still do it. Um, so I think there's like a breaking through in that. In podcasts, it's really, you know, interesting. I think there's a lot of people in the newsroom who are super queasy about it. Um, I think there's people who don't like it at all. You know, just like, why are you making my old editor? Just like, I made a first person documentary that was an hour long. And he's still, every time I see him, is just like, I don't know. <laughs> that was kind of mm, too much for me. You know, I mean, he's like old school, but like, it was still just like too many feelings. I mean, I'm the kind of person who thinks that we should be ourselves because I think if we can, if we can be ourselves and just be completely transparent and honest about who we are, we're not perfect, we're super messed up 
just like come along with me on this super messed up journey. I don't know what's going to happen, but like, you know, if you want to come, you know, you'll probably cry. Uh, so yeah. well, Maria, do you feel like when you started your thing, did you set out explicit rules that were different than the rules that you had lived by for Oh, your... you mean when we started Futuro? Yeah. Like, were you like, we're not going to, mm-hmm. was it explicit or were you, right. did you not? No, no. The, um, the only explicit, um, one, we, we try to create a very diverse and open newsroom. Um, explicitly, there are two words that we don't use, minority or illegal to describe a human being. Um, so those are like the explicit things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about what we've done with Latino USA is that we did over the last six years since Futuro Media was created and took over the production, um, we have brought in the voices of our producers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I think that the real key here is to know when, when to yeah. do it and when not to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like again... On the podcast In the Thick, which is a politics podcast that we launched, um, and we're trying to have a much more conversational tone, but it's a politics podcast, so I'm never, I don't say what I feel, but I'm more, Mm -hmm. it's a different character. Mm -hmm. On Latino USA, I have a different personality in different moments. I think it's about knowing when to pull back, you know, when it's too much, and I think you know it. It's like, you can be just like, okay, like you said, it's like, uh, okay, yeah. Um, and also, like, there are also places where I don't want to know what you're thinking or feeling necessarily as an anchor giving me the evening news. Right. Like, I just don't, actually. Right. I, I really just want you at the BBC over there in London to just tell me right. what's going on. Francesca, I'd love to hear what you think about this. Yeah, I mean, I would say that like, right from the beginning, we were a totally embracing character and, um, and our the kind of characters of our um, of our reporters within the piece. I set up a um, a podcast called Islamophonic, I think, in 2007 with a very young um, female Islamic uh, reporter, and it was all about her. Like she was a really big character, and she totally threw herself into it. And it was f- it was a really fun podcast, but very much from her perspective of being a kind of British Muslim uh, woman and. That was absolutely what we were looking for. I think you're right that it can be forced. You've got to get the right people. You can't just say, like, be a personality right. now. Come on, perform. Go, Because that's, like, yeah. horrible. But, yeah, <laughs> finding the right people and the right level and when it's appropriate for the programme, I think is... I think it's... I think... I mean, one of the nice things about podcasting is you can experiment. Like, you can experiment in... Um, you know, it's a kind of... It's a space for R&D, isn't it? So we can be you know, playing around and seeing what does work without the restrictions of broadcasting slots. I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. I'm sorry to say that, but thank you to Hannah Rosen, Francesca Panetta, Maria Hinojosa. Thanks, you guys. That was Kelly McEvers, Hannah Rosen, Maria Hinojosa, and Francesca Panetta speaking at the 2016 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, with additional support from the Harnish Foundation.